Hello and welcome in, everybody. This is the Orlando Drummer Podcast, episode 14. We are cranking them out, man. It's been a while. So 2021 has been... Um, mostly we've been focused on this podcast, right? Yeah. I mean, that's been that's been the main thing. Yeah, I've been cranking them out. It's Crank, been great. Cranking them out. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing fantastic. Awesome. We're all coffeeed up. Mm-hmm. You got your, your espresso oh, yeah. coffee. You got himself a fancy new little espresso I did. mechanism. Oh, yeah. We go hard on coffee around here. Very hard. <laughs> it's part of our blood. Yep. 50% coffee, 10% Water. Yeah, you just sprinkle the water on. You a little know. bit. That's all you need. <laughs> Coffee's mostly water anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, we'll roll right into it. Sure. Uh, I got a loop of the week this week. Loop of the week. What yeah. are we dealing with here, brother? We, we've been going hard. We're looking at Cosmic Metal. Cosmic Metal. V1. Loop 2. Loop 2. Yeah. Oh, man. Cosmic Metal was such a fun... Such a fun pack to do. And really, this was like loosely inspired by Nick DiPiro, because that's kind of how I would describe his whole style. Uh, Nick DiPiro, he, he's written plenty of tracks for us that are also yeah. on the site. He's got a loop pack on the yeah. site. Um, and he's the guitarist of the band Night Versus, Eric and Proto is the drummer. And he's, man, it's like if you wanted to be metal, but everything has like this ambient, like spacious quality to it in a weird way. Um, so the Cosmic Metal pack was sort of inspired by his playing, but man, that's a really, really fun pack for sure. Let's let everybody hear it. This is Cosmic Metal Loop 2. V1 Loop 2. V1 Loop 2, check it out. listening to like volumes and uh just dream theater just for which isn't <laughs> gent at theater. all <laughs> but like but just, yeah like chug city i know what you're talking exactly about. Yeah. chug a chug a chug a one, one way trip to chug city man <laughs> god <laughs> it's fun well i mean i think drummers are attracted to that that whole style because of how rhythmic it is yeah right and i i remember one time somebody pointed out that like you can tell that Foo Fighters, or rather Dave Grohl, used to be a drummer because of the amount of palm muting. Like they almost, mm -hmm. like you can hear like the rhythmic influence, right? It's, yeah. it's not so like melody driven as much. As, and I don't know, Dejan is kind of like that, right? It's it's like very rhythmically driven. So drummers tend to get drawn to it. And guitarists, it's like 50-50. Some guitarists don't really study or think about rhythm that much. And I think if you went down that like Chug City rabbit hole, like you find yourself having to study rhythm a lot closer to how drummers study rhythm. And I think that that genre has a lot of cool like connections in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Hell like, yeah. Well, great. that's uh, a. Right, go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say great for the feet. 
Yeah. You're doing double bass exercises. It's awesome. Oh, or, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can spend your whole life working working <laughs> on that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, yeah, check um, check out that loop pack, Cosmic V1. Of course, you can buy any loop pack you want individually, download them, and own the files. Or you can use code ODPC, uh, and you can get 25% off your first two months to OrlandoDrummer.com after a free seven-day trial. And, of course, that includes all 300-plus uh, loops in the library. You can stream oh, yeah. all of them, offline playback through the apps, and... 160 hours of educational content, master classes, interviews with pro drummers, in-depth lesson packs, you name it. We got it waiting for you. And, uh, oh, also cool, we're rolling out a new loop pack right now. It's it's not out completely. Uh, only the first loop is out. Uh, but for the next four weeks or so, we're rolling out one every Saturday for our members. Uh, and that is the Dubstep V1 loop wah, pack. Womp, womp, womp for the kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, we've done we've done two EDM packs, mm-hmm. and then we did two house packs. So yeah. we've been kind of like dancing around dubstep for a while, but we decided like, all right, let's just go all the way in. Um, the reason Joe didn't want to do them though is because it's it's a lot of like unique programming that goes into making some of those sounds. It's mm-hmm. like it's not it's all virtual instruments, but it, it's but it's extreme like extreme frequency modulation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the instruments and the plugins that you use are not similar to like any of the plugins that he owns. So we had to do like a lot of research and like, okay, how do you make the womp womp sound? Cause you know, it's it's not as easy as you'd think. So it's a lot of like, I don't know, I, I would be lying if I said I was the one in there actually making them, but it's it's tricky, it's tricky. Yeah, it's really just taking like waveforms and breaking them down to like really small points and then modulating them with other waveforms like square waves and sine waves and yeah. sawtooth waves. Yeah, there's a level of that. nerdiness to that style of music that I think a lot of people don't understand. It's, yeah. uh, it's very tricky, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right, we'll start it off like we always do with trying to trick you. Oh, yeah. Let's start out with Player Puzzle. Player Puzzle, man. Let's do it. Yeah. With so many drummers out there, it's hard to tell the difference, but some stand out so well that they're absolutely recognizable. In Player Puzzle, we'll provide three hints to see if Adam can guess who's playing. Let's see if we can stump him. Please, God, I hope I stump him. (laughs) It was funny. Last week was the second stump. Second stump, that was it, right? And we're on, have we done eight of these? Eight player puzzles? Yeah, I think so. But two drummers each. So (laughs) I'm like 14 out of 16, somewhere around there. So I'm pretty proud of myself. We're getting there. But you're also running through some of the more like obvious ones. Like we've already done like, I don't know who's the most, like Greb is a good example of like, it's hard to get that wrong. But uh, we're getting into some sketchy territory here. So we're going to find out what we can do we'll get there uh so we'll go ahead we'll start out click on star star maybe the first audio clue first audio clue let's do it player puzzle number one So I have a guess based off of not just the style, because this particular person who I'm thinking of, um, I'll give you a hint for anybody at home, their initials, my guess, their initials are BS, 
And that's just a guess. I'm not not totally convinced if it's this guy. But his playing style is he definitely can do all of the drunk drumming and like the feel manipulation. But it's also the mm. audio because that audio was really dialed in. There was like an A and F vintage dryness to it. Uh, hmm. Not 100% convinced, but that was pretty dialed in. That whole package seems to fit one particular guy who I'm thinking of. But let's keep going. What's our next hint here for this guy? Or girl? Uh, this drummer only stuttered. Only <laughs> they only stuttered? I only stuttered. <laughs> you stuttered saying I stuttered. stuttered, and they only started <laughs> studying music at the age of 26. Ooh. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, it's a weird one, right? Do we know if they played drums before then? And like yeah. they began, st- yeah. But they began studying. But began studying seriously music at age 26. More mm-hmm. drums at age 26. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of close to how I was, right? Maybe not 26, but I, I didn't even glance at like real <clears throat> music notation or subdivisions or any of that stuff until I was 20, 21, but had played since like age 12. Huh. See, to me, that's just the that's just an indicator that you have killer ears. Because if you can play for that long without studying anything, it's it's because you're relying on your ears. Okay. What's our what's hint number three here? We got a kit photo. Yeah, a kit photo. You can click on star. On star. On star. Oh, see, that messes me up. Was is there? There's no reason to think that that first audio clip was played on a Roland. No, there's no reason. Nope. Mm, yeah, I don't think it was. Mm. Huh. Man, that's so tricky because the rolling kit, you do me dirty a little bit on this one because uh-huh. there's no well, there's no symbols, there's no heads. Mm. Right? So you don't get any of that context. Huh. And I don't know that this drummer that I'm thinking of would <clears throat> necessarily want to play on a on a rolling. He's such an audio nerd. Also a studio owner. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to stick with my original guess. I'm not super confident the Roland is throwing me off. I don't actually know that this guy plays any electronics. Well, well here. Okay. I have two other kit photos. Okay, that might be helpful. So if you think Roland is cheating. Well, it's just that I, I if we're if I was mm. going to determine it by the head endorsement, the symbol endorsement, any of that, right? Roland will never have those. So let's see, you're gonna drop box me or yeah, yeah. drop me another Here, let one? Let me uh let me let me let me airdrop you a, another kit photo. Okay. Hmm. Evans Minel Tama. This is me helping you out. Yeah. So the Tama Oh. I have a new guess. Mm. I have a new guess based off of this. The First of all, Tama is definitely helpful. The Roland makes sense now because this woman does play, uh, does play Roland, and I recognize those that stack. That is actually not really a stack. Those are the D pats. I believe this is sister Anna Caniles. It is. Yeah, Anna Caniles. Man, it's a tricky one. She does that drunk drumming style so well, yeah. so well, man. And also the reverse ten twelve. Or twelve ten, however you want to say it. Yeah. That definitely helps as well. Okay, man. So what got me was the something about the feel and the mm. audio sound. Yeah. Uh, Brody Simpson was my guess initially. Brody Simpson, um, and I don't think he ever does electronic stuff because he's so into like 
the actual art of recording. He's such yeah. a good like audio guy, and that mix did sound it sounded really really good. Um, but Annika does play like super dry, washed out sounds, and um, yeah, I mean, I suppose Tama and A and F not a lot of crossover there, but she yeah. plays weird heads on her kit too, right? Yeah. Weird what is Evans that snare head, head? That black one, Onyx. Yeah, that Onyx Evans head. Uh, that that would be on her side snare. That she yeah, has, she plays the two is, snare thing, kind of like Larnell sometimes. Yeah, I, yeah, either on her right or her left, and she mixes between the two. Yep. Uh, the other hint too is that she prefers Bobinga for her personal kit, tuned, huh. tuned low. Babinga tune low, man. Babinga. That is like as wet and heavy of a kit sound yeah, as you can get. But beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Babinga's amazing. Yeah, I've played the Thomas Star Classic Birch Babinga. Man, that's a special kit, man. It's such yeah. a such an awesome blend of woods for sure. And it records wet too. It has like such a such a slap to it, Babinga does. It's a really yeah. unique sounding wood. It's not, it's it is low frequency, but it doesn't sound like walnut or mahogany where they're almost a little bit more in the dry thud sort of mm-hmm. sound babinga is like a low but like wet frequency it's really weird um low wet low wet i don't know yeah <laughs> all right cool that was a good one and a yeah. close one too a close one no you only got it because i gave you a second i'll give photo. you that i appreciate it i appreciate so it so that's a half win for me a half win i'll take it um half right. a w so it's a v N- next drummer up is Boxing. Boxing. Go ahead and play boxing. All right. Player puzzle number two. Here we go. So that is an electronic kit. That one definitely is. Huh. Tricky, man. Tricky. The play style was interesting, too. Very experimental. Um, you could tell they were holding back a lot, though. Like, there were this, this drummer can definitely shred, but they didn't in this clip. So it's, it's fairly high level. I don't know from that. Mm. No guess yet. Let's go to our, uh, go to our next hint here. What's your hint? Your hint is... They play for the band The Hot at Nights. Oh, The Hot at Nights. I recognize that. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who it is. Initials for anybody playing at home would be NB. And this guy is, is severely underrated. Like very, very, very underrated. I've talked to several other friends of mine who play professionally and said, have you heard of this guy? And they go, no, I don't think so. And I'll show them clips of this guy playing, and they're just like, what the hell? Like, how on earth do I not know who this guy is? Everybody has that reaction. Um, so I'm glad he's on here, if I'm right, if I'm right. Yeah, he does play for the band The Hot at Nights. They're out of the Carolinas. Is that right? I think it's where he lives. North or South Carolina? Probably north. Okay, all right. What's our? right, let's do our kit photo here. All right, cool. It's also named Boxing in the Boxing. folder. Right? Interesting. See, this doesn't actually help me because i'm not i'm not totally sure of what his like final decisions were this guy signed with mine old somewhat recently um i want to say in the last two years or so something like that 
I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that this is brother Nick Baglio. It is Nick Baglio. Yeah, dude, how hard does he shred? Oh my God. It's so many videos of him playing, and I was just like, which one will I choose? Yeah. And it, that was not an electronic It wasn't. Kit. No, it was... It almost um, sounded like there was a certain, maybe it was just like heavily compressed. He was playing a junk hat, which is that like wood with chains on he, it. He does play a lot of weird set. stuff, yeah. Um, with everything, I think he had like big fat snare drum on each, each drum there. Yeah. And was playing some uh, different pieces of his kit, real minimal setup. Gotcha, but yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he manipulates God. his audio a lot. I, I've definitely seen some videos of him where it's either like intentionally over compressed just to get her like, like, like industrial or industrious kind of sound where it's a little more metallic sounding things like that but man his um there, there's footage of him from i want to say as, as long as like 10 years ago like clinics that you can find that he's yeah. done yeah. back on youtube oh my god just a, a very much an underrated player and i say that not not to imply that people don't know who he is but like the level of, of fame and notoriety that he has versus his actual playing doesn't quite line up. Yeah, like that it's guy not does, proportionate. Yeah, man, he is. He can hang with some of the best of them, man. An absolutely incredible player. And I, I don't think I've ever met Nick. Him and I have just talked a lot online, mm -hmm. just texting and stuff like that over the years. I don't know that I've ever met him in person before. Um, I was in North Carolina one time randomly and tried to link up with him to get a lesson, honestly. Um, but yeah, man, incredible player. Go check out uh, brother Nick Baglio, man. He absolutely shreds. Yeah. And fellow minor artist. Yeah, Nicky Bags. Plays those um, Bags. those Evans, the red. The reds, yeah. Yeah. Are they hydraulic, the reds? I don't know. Uh, crazy. They look, yeah. they look gross, but sound great. <laughs> yeah, they do sound good. Sound a lot so of control good. from those heads, from what yeah. I understand. Cool. Cool, man. That was a great one. All right. That's, eh, I'm going to say that that's like one for two because <laughs> I helped you with the first one. And really, there's not a whole lot of fun facts about Nick Baglio that yeah. I can pull from just like looking on the internet. So yeah. 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 That was a hard one. All right. We'll move on to Accent or Ghost. Accent or Ghost. Let's do it. Yeah. This is a piece where we get Adam's view on many aspects of the drumming industry. And at the end, we'll get an approval, which is an accent, or a disapproval, which is a ghost. What do you think about smaller or micro drum sets like the Pearl Midtown, the Sonar mm. AQX Micro, the Tama Club Jam? Sure, sure. Well, I had the Safari for years, and that kit made me made me really fall in love with them, or at least just just entertain the idea of like what can be done with a much smaller kit. I like them, man. I like them a lot. I think especially if I could go back and sort of examine like my touring days and gigging days like man there was a lot of time spent lugging around 22 and 24 inch kick drums and 16 inch floor toms and you know I really don't know I don't know if it would if I would have missed anything if I had have just had an 18 inch kick drum right I think it just would have made my life easier and nobody would have really known the difference of course it depends like in the Stockholm days when it was a lot of rock shows like yeah you can certain there is a difference between a 16 inch kick drum on a Sonar Safari mm -hmm. and the 22 inch DW performance series kick that I had you know when you mic that thing up at a house of blues like yeah there's definitely a difference but I'm a huge fan of them man and uh, progressively over the years I've always just made my drums smaller and smaller and smaller there's a certain limit. I don't think I'd ever go below 20 inches for my kick drum, things like that. But mm -hmm. for example, like 14 inch floor tom, to me, that's like, that's amazing. You know, right next to my snare. I, I just love that size. I love the rebound that I get off of it. Now, when you get into 
what's the new new one from Sonar? The AQX Micro? Is that what yeah, they call yeah, it? That, yeah, that one. They've Dude. got three three drum sets in the AQX line. I saw that video from Sweetwater. Yeah, that they Micro put out. was yeah. one of them, and I think the other one was Jungle, mm-hmm. and the other one was Jazz. Okay. Micro's the smallest of the three. What is that, like 16-inch kick drum? Yeah, and then like a, oh God, I think it's like a, a eight inch an 8-inch rack, inch rack tom, tom, and yeah. then a 13-inch floor tom, Yeah, where it's just hilariously small. Yeah, and this is probably upgraded from the Safari line, where they had, mm-hmm. what did they call it, the Bop, the Jungle, and there was one yeah. other, three types of Safari. Yeah. yeah, but those were made out of what they call select hardwood. It was mostly poplar, so the Safaris were never that high-end. Um you know, my Sparkle Blue Safari that I used to make a ton of videos that are actually still on this channel. Mm-hmm. It was back in like 2014, 15, something. I don't know. I bought that when I worked at Sam Ash. And even with my discount working there, it was like 275 out the door. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It, but, it, but it sounded so good for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like them in the realm of a practice kit, right? Because I, I do think sometimes it's nice to have a kit that is separate from your main one. So if you're like a gigging or a touring drummer, you have your your nice drum set that maybe stays in the cases and you only bring that out when it's time to go record something, time to play the show. But at home, you can have a much more smaller, compact, but still fully acoustic kit mm-hmm. that you can use like um, some of the different muting options on, right? So you can keep it a lot, uh, a lot quieter. That's kind of what I ended up using the Safari for over the years was just keeping it You know, I would mute it up and keep it as like the low volume practice sort of set. Man, I I love them. I miss having a a kit like that for sure. So I'm going to give it the hard accent. I think they're they're underrated. And I think sometimes people, especially if you come from a rock background like I did, you get convinced that larger sizes are are better. And they certainly are for, for certain purposes or certain certain applications yeah you do need size to get a certain sound but i think for the most part a lot of people just they look at them as like they're 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 like toys in a way where it's like not not a real drum set mm-hmm. but dude i've played um dw makes one i think it's called the dw bop it's like an 18 inch kick and like 10 14 and that's it i think my buddy devin sumner actually bought one of those years ago dude they sound mind-blowingly good they sound so good so i'd love to actually play the sonar AQX some of those and see see what they could do because the Safari I think that kit retails four or five hundred bucks dude that thing sounds amazing for the price so yeah. yeah I'm gonna I'll give it the heavy accent I love small kits man absolutely cool me too they're great yeah ton of um, fun um all right I got a little picture for you I want to see what you think okay oh my goodness how uh what is this late 70s early 80s gotta be his early 80s early 80s Carmen Apice is Vinny. That's Vinny. Vinny. Okay. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Well, I feel like I can't possibly ghost this just because of how long. I mean, what, what an absurd picture. This is so intense. Could you imagine if you just were like hitting the scene as a pro drummer now and this is what you came out with? Like, what's good? Like, <laughs> the floor tom mounting situation looks so dangerous. Right? I mean, you've, yeah. he's got 14 and 16-inch floor toms turned completely on their side at, like, head height. How do you even mount those? Uh, a That's very crazy. tricky rack mounting system or from the ceiling, yeah. I feel like. And, okay, so I'm also curious about the rezo heads of this kit. Because there is a rim on the bottom of the drums, 
but there's no lugs. So it's like it was intended to have no rezzo head. Yeah, like concert tom. Kind of a concert tom vibe. Yeah, I think that that's just one of the styles of the 80s where you were playing big kits like this in larger arenas and yeah. really no need whatsoever for rezzo heads. Yeah, just get a giant like boing out of the tom and yeah. record it. Yeah. Man, that's a fascinating setup. Yeah. It's <laughs> what's more interesting too is the the park hands that he's sitting right in front of. Mm-hmm. Those things give off so much heat. Oh, especially back then too, right? This yeah. was this was decades before LEDs. Yeah, lighting systems so back those then. Were hot. Yeah, for conde- for uh, conventional <laughs> incandescent bulbs, they're they're putting off. Man, man, two hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Is sure, super hot. Oh, they're insanely hot. He's like surrounding his kit with them. That's <laughs> funny. Super cool. And then like the china's at the top and man. Okay, so little bells. It's a special introduction. Oh, I thought it said instruction. Special introduction. Was this like an educational DVD or something? Um, I I think it might have been. Um, these images were pulled from just an Instagram drum content page <laughs> that i thought it was just funny goodness man i think i have to give it the accent just based off of the time you know if if somebody came out now and this was like their vibe with like the mm-hmm. cut off red tank top and the mullet and then this set it's like what are we doing but back then dude this was so cool this mm-hmm. was so cool right yeah i think given the era we're gonna have to give it the accent that's badass man i would love see if i was Oh, by Vinnie Pie. So I'm sorry, I zoomed in on the picture. This yeah. was an instructional VHS tape, I guess. Yeah, it might have been. Well, yeah, it wouldn't have been a DVD back yeah. then. <laughs> man, oh, this, given given that, yes, this is absolutely this is badass, yeah. badass man. <laughs> what a vibe that is. That's rock awesome. steady, rock steady, yeah. brother. Yeah, let us know if you want Adam to recreate this picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, well, I'll I'll pay for the outfit. We can do this. <laughs> I know where to get those park hands. We'll, Man, we'll absolutely. If do I it. if I ever go the drum DVD route, which let's be honest, probably not. <laughs> but if I ever put one out, Rock Steady Two. Man, that's uh, sick. Definitely an accent. <laughs> sweet. All right, and then uh, in tandem with uh, small drum sets that we talked about just a minute ago. Okay. What do you think about cymbals mounted on a kick drum? Mmm. I don't like anything mounted on a kick drum, to be honest. I'm, I'm going to give that one the ghost. I think, um, and what do they call it? They call it a virgin bass drum, which is always, mm-hmm. str- I mean, like, what are we saying? Like an virgin. unpenetrated bass drum? Like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of, yeah. that's exactly what yeah. you're saying. It's like a weird word to, like, okay, little little crude. Could have just said like a naked bass drum or like, yeah. I don't know, one with no mounts on it. Like, one. <laughs> no, it's a virgin. It slip okay. off the tongue as easily as yeah. virgin. <laughs> I get, yeah, virgin. You just get used to saying it, right? But yeah, so I prefer virgin bass drums, nothing mounted on them at all. You know, it makes a lot of sense that the heaviest, thickest, largest, most sturdy drum could support something. Like tom mounts normally is what would come off of there. But I also just, I don't know, I don't like the idea of like, one, just putting a ton of weight on your kick drum. Like anybody that's been in a band, if the singer has ever walked over and stood on your kick drum, oh my God, I hate that. That's a that's a bad feeling. Like mm. I've had that a number of times, guitarist comes over and stands on the edge of the kick drum, like, dude, we're gonna, we're gonna pause this song and fight real quick, I hate that. And so, I don't know, I don't like the idea of leaving just heavy stuff mounted on a kick drum for years and years. Of course, it's going to affect the integrity of the drum over time. Um, but more so than that, I think just, you know, 
here's a weird reality about kick drums. People don't know this a lot of times. Your kick drum is in the drum itself is not supposed to touch the ground at all. It's supposed to be completely off of the ground. Mm -hmm. So the two legs that come off of the kick drum, that holds up one end, right? So even the rim on the rezzo side of your kick drum is not supposed to touch the ground. Mm -hmm. But then the other side of the drum that faces you, the batter side, that's supposed to be held off the, off the ground by your, your kick pedal. So in theory, your kick drum should not even be touching the ground. None of your drums are supposed to be touching the ground. It's why your floor toms are on legs. It's why your toms have mounts. The idea is that you eliminate the contact with anything because ideally, you know, a, a drum would sound its best if it was like floating in space and not connected to anything. If it was just hovering, that's how it yeah. would actually sound the best. You get the most resonance out of it. And the more stuff you have touching a drum, uh, the more that that's gonna inhibit sort of the vibrations that can pass through it and affect the sound. So when we're talking about like a kick drum specifically, the idea of mounting anything off of it, like ideally, no. Ideally, it would just be completely plain um, and a virgin, you know what I mean? Like nothing would touch it. So I'm gonna ghost that I'd say no, though admittedly in, in, in an environment where it doesn't really matter, you know, like, like the micro kit thing, mm -hmm. right? That, that's where you would see that a lot. The Sonar Safari had that, where the 10 inch rack tom mounts on top of the 16 inch kick drum. If you're taking this to a coffee shop and playing that kind of gig, I really don't think it matters. In cheaper drum sets, if it was like a lower end kit, like sub 500 bucks, who cares? It, it's really not gonna be that big of a deal. But for a high end kit, if you were spending anywhere near $1,000 or more, man, leave that bass drum alone. Don't mount anything on it mm -hmm. at all. Definitely not cymbals and toms. Just leave it alone. So cheap kits only, but for me, thinking like high-end, nice gear, stuff you want to save up and buy, no, not, nothing on the bass drum. Two accents and a ghost? Mm-hmm. That'll end out accent or ghost. All righty. Move on to Sleeper Spotlight. Sleeper Spotlight, <clears throat> man. Yeah. It's a fun one to look at uh, people from the internet, people y'all are sleeping on. And then we'll get uh, some opinions, impressions, and constructive criticism, if any, from Adam. Let's see how much stuff he can talk shit about you. About. <laughs> exactly. Cool. <laughs> First up is Farat Kokoman. Hope oh. I'm pronouncing that right. All right. KCMN Farat on Instagram only has 1,200 followers. 1,200. All right. Yeah. So we'll click on Farat. Farat, let's go. Video number one. Really cool, like um, funk comping sort of groove, you know. Um, I love his wrist. His left wrist looks so clean, man. Really dialed in technique, mm -hmm. playing from the wrist. It's such a good example of like what it's like to eliminate your elbow from the equation, which is something a lot of drummers have to spend years working on, right? Getting your mm -hmm. elbows out of the mix. The mix, no pun intended. You know, um, getting your el elbows out of the physical motion and just just using wrist. So I loved his his left hand wrist technique. Really good example of what it looks like to have your left hand dialed in that way, um, and to still have a really busy groove with a lot of a lot of dynamics, a lot of textures, and you know, plenty busy too, right? That that sort of funk comping groove will keep your left hand moving a lot. So that was really clean, and I love. Uh, I love rack tom, like smaller rack tom, the rim sound. Mm -hmm. It's a really like underused voice on the kit. Yeah. A, a lot of, I swear that there's times when I'm recording a loop and I'll accidentally like hit the rim and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. 
like I forgot about how dope that sounds. Like maybe I can actually use the rim to play something. Sometimes I do. Um, also on my my signature snare, the the entity, uh, the wooden rim has a really cool sound. So I like that style a lot. But that was clean, man. Beautiful technique. Beautiful playing. Cool. Awesome. Right, another clip from Ferrat. There. Another from Ferrat. Here we go. Is he playing backwards? Or is the video yeah, backwards? The videos. Flipped. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I'm way more <laughs> Man, what a puzzle that is. Yeah, we had, tricky we, stuff. Yeah. See, we had a, a drummer on Sleeper Spotlight a few a few episodes ago. Very similar, right? Where we talked about like these, these puzzles that you can start creating. Um, it's a very specific way to practice, but there's a lot of cool stuff that you can figure out too. I'll tell you another moment of this video that I loved was the absolute baseball bat swing of the crash that happened, <laughs> you know? There's like a certain level of commitment that that you have to have. And it's funny because I know what it's like to work on these puzzles like this that he's building, right? Where you're, I don't know, there's just like a rhythmic challenge between your hands and your feet, like or there's an ostinato happening and, you know, and you're, you're anticipating a certain moment where it resets or the one is coming and you're like, I'm holding on, holding on right here. You just like smash on the down beat of one. There's a certain level of confidence that you have to have, but it, it was funny because you can see it in his body language of mm -hmm. like, it's coming, it's coming right here. And then he just smashes it. I know exactly what that feels like, but man, that was really clean. High level of independence. And uh, it takes a you have to go really, really deep, man, in order to work those puzzles out. It's It just requires hours of just, you know, intense concentration to work that out. And he played very, very clean. Awesome. That was a killer one, man. Everybody go check out Brother Farat. Yes. All right. Who we got next? Uh, next up is uh, Jack Jones. Jack Jones. Uh, not the Jack Jones, but another <laughs> Jack Jones. Okay. Uh, has about 6,200 followers on Instagram. All right. At jdrums42 on Instagram. Cool. And got a few videos from him. All right. First video from Jack Jones. So first of all, I'm getting strong. Um, I, I, maybe it's just the it's uh, Ash Sohn vibes, mm -hmm. right? Reminds me of, of him quite a bit. Something about the like lower hands, like like plays from the wrist more than most people do, right? Like it, it there's the elbows are like what's the way to say it? Like it's more of an obtuse angle. Like he keeps his hands very low and gets the stick height like purely from the wrist. Doesn't use his elbow like in any way. Um, yeah, so I don't know, really unique like technique mm -hmm. to this guy's playing. Uh, but also like a very hard style to describe because I heard some vintage mannerisms, mm -hmm. like some old school kind of licks. But also he's doing some like more uncommon stuff, like really fast diddles up on the toms. But his toms are tuned kind of high, so you can do that when you have a like 
you know, it's almost like a jazz tuning on mm-hmm. the kit, right? Like the, the toms do sound very high, but man, he had a couple of like speedy bursts in there that are really indicative of his overall skill level. Like the guy can absolutely shred. Really interesting. He's also got one of the one of the best drum books you could ever buy on a music stand behind there called Future Sounds by David Garibaldi. I own that book. It's the kind of book where like you crack it open and you read the first two measures of page one and I'll see you in two months. Like, I mean, it's mm. like that difficult of a book, right? I mean, there's there's so many just gems in there, grooves and fills, linear stuff. Yeah, it's a fantastic book, which I imagine he's worked through quite a bit. Man, interesting player and very interesting sound for sure. I think I need to watch the second one here just to get like a a grasp on his style. It was so eclectic and strange. Yeah. Very interesting. All right, second one here from Jack. a unique style right definitely something in the technique realm that reminds me of mm-hmm. ash Sohn. like i don't know like a loose wrist thing i'm having, having a hard time describing it but something reminds me of like technique wise about that yeah. it's also weird though because his style his style mm. and his kit sound are there's like a contrast there yeah. like the kit sounds like it's tuned like how mark juliana would tune a kit yeah or like a jojo mayer kind of tuning. jojo mayer yeah. tuning or like eric harland like it sounds like a a little more like purist jazz mm-hmm. tuning, like very high toms, but his playing isn't like that. You can hear that future sound influence here, right? A lot of that that linear funk comping sort of stuff. Man, it, but see, I love this because it it's easier for me. Well, I don't want to say easier, but like there's more to talk about in a drummer like this because the styles are like all over the place or rather his influences clearly come from a variety of different places. So this to me is like a very interesting drummer right because i it's hard to put him in a box where mm-hmm. it's like well is he a rock drummer or a funk drummer or a jazz like i don't i don't know yeah. like it, it's he's a confusing person right i don't want to say confusing person but like uh just the more eclectic drummer there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye so for me these are some of the more interesting ones yeah. for sure because i bet we could go through his whole instagram and find a lot of different skill sets it was, that he has it was very entertaining to go through his instagram yeah it was awesome everything seemed very different and new and it was very i mean rewarding to find his sure. instagram i think it was suggested by someone who is a listener so okay sent me an email uh for his instagram yeah and yeah i love it he's great yeah this is a killer one man it's a killer because you let's be honest you can go through instagram all day and see a lot of the same thing and if not the same thing then a lot of people, you know, trying to do the same thing. Where here's the chop video, here's the groove video, here's the drum cover, here, you know. But to see somebody that has a style that is like so deeply unique like that, it is really hard to find people like that. So yeah, I'm impressed, man. This was uh 
Very, very cool stuff from Brother Jack. Awesome, man. A couple of great sleepers. Go check out Jack and Farah, guys. Do yeah. it. Yeah. And if you've got any suggestions for sleepers that you see on the internet that we're missing, uh, shoot me an email at chris at orlandodrummer.com. Yeah, man. Cool. All right. Cool. That'll do it with Sleeper Spotlight. We'll move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Uh, we answer any questions, any and all. They come from Instagram. They come from YouTube or the forums of orlandodrummer.com. Uh, or you can email me directly at chris at orlandodrummer.com. Basically, any way to contact me about questions about the podcast, shoot me an email there. Yeah. First question uh, from Emmanuel Asuncion. Okay. I have an extra room in my house that had been my practice room for years, but since COVID happened, that extra room I had to turn to actually room for my... Okay. <laughs> they turned it into a room for their uncle to stay with them. It's been a year since my kid has been set up, but still currently play at church, but no practice, and as a result, my playing has been very sloppy. Now a friend has suggested to rent a storage unit just to have a practice space, mm. and I'm strongly considering it. What are your thoughts on that and or other suggestions to practice without the practice space? Thank you, and I love the podcast. Gotcha. Good question, Emmanuel. So storage units, right? That's what it's about, right? Yeah. It's very tricky. I've known a, a, a number of people, good buddy of mine, one of the groomsmen in my wedding, actually, Devin Sumner, D-Sum Drums. Um, he had a storage unit around here for a very, very long time, and it was interesting hearing about what it's like to be in a storage unit. So first of all, we should say that not all storage unit facilities allow musicians to be there, right? Some of them will just kick you out as soon as you start making that kind of noise. And some of them do allow that, and they'll tell you, like, yes, we have tons of bands that rent these storage facilities as rehearsal spaces. So that's the first thing that you need to do is find out if the specific storage unit place that you're interested in, if they even allow musicians to be there. The other catch here is that, you know, not all of them are climate controlled, and I think that's a, man, that's a must, right? If you're going to put all of your audio gear, recording gear, a drum set inside of a storage unit, it's got to be climate controlled, right? And normally what that means is that they keep it at like 78 or like 81 degrees, so it doesn't get like brutally hot or brutally cold. I'm talking about Florida, obviously. Yeah. You might have a different problem in a, in a colder state. Um, so yeah, it has to be climate controlled. The, the other thing that you've really got to take into consideration is power. You know, are you going to be able to get power in there? Some of them have one outlet. Some of them have none. Others have an outlet in the hallway. So you've got to run an extension cord into the room. That's just if you want to have like good lighting, you know, so if you're making content there, that's another thing. That's another thing you got to consider, right? I want to say, um, who was it? Jeff Randall? killer drummer mm -hmm. I, I believe he had a he had a quite a while where he did a storage unit type of setup so you know it can be done it definitely can be done i would say the thing to consider though is that you are renting a space so it's money that's just going away right so if you said i'm gonna pay 200 bucks a month for a year well you know that that's a little over two grand what happens if you took two grand and decided to you know fix up a room in your house or a place in your house where you know maybe you were able to film there, maybe you spend that money on soundproofing type stuff. I mean, I would just think of it that way because when you rent a facility, uh, you, you can't really do that much to a storage facility, right? That room isn't yours, that box isn't yours. So there's only so much stuff you can do to the room itself as far as sound treatment, um, decorations and aesthetics, things like that. So it's not a bad option. If it's just for practice, it's it's probably one of the better options if you truly have no other room 
you know, in your house. But one thing I'll say, and I've heard of a lot of people doing this before too, is sharing the space with somebody else. If you can find another drummer or perhaps even a band, uh, someone else who, who's in the same position as you where they need a, a rehearsal facility, what you can do is rent it with them and then schedule like certain days or times. And let's be honest, you're probably not gonna go there eight hours a day, six days a week. That's an insane amount of time to be playing music anyway. But um, you know, if you would just said, well, hey, I'm only going there you know, at nights, uh, Monday through Thursday for three or four hours. All you have to do is find somebody who's on a different schedule, another musician, and they might say, well, that's perfect because I practice in the mornings on the weekends, right? So that's another way, way to, to look at it is that you could split the cost. But the first thing that you have to make sure, sure of is that the storage facility that you're considering, that they actually allow musicians because the worst thing would be if you sign a contract for a year of a storage room and then the first day you play, they're like, hey, what are you doing? That's not allowed here. So that's something to keep in mind as well, but I think it's a good option, man. I think it's a good option. I would just consider, you know, if you're gonna spend a couple thousand dollars a year on that, is there another way you could spend that money uh, where maybe you're spending it on soundproofing stuff in your own house that you own, that you get to keep forever because renting stuff is you know not ideal in the, in the long run, but depends on the position you're in, man. But yeah, I would say it's not a horrible idea, something to look into, explore it, you know? Cool. Well, thank you, Emmanuel, for your question. Next question comes from 5064Maverick okay. on YouTube. Would anyone or anything in particular tempt you out on a tour a show run or recording for an artist in their environment for a period of time mm. regards steve oh that's a tough one for me man yeah i i guess you should start out by saying you know i have turned down a lot of gigs a lot of gigs for some reason in 20 maybe 18 19 i don't know why man i was get it maybe it was just that youtube was sort of peaking in a way but i, I got offers for gigs and albums Dude, like once a week for a year, it was it was kind of constant. It's really mm -hmm. slowed down a lot now. I don't get those yeah. kind of offers too much. Well, one relatively big offer came through someone you knew at the um the lighting yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My old boss uh, is Porter Robinson's uh, Porter Robinson. Designer, yeah, and uh, he was gonna go on a tour last fall. Um, and that was and international, right? It was gonna be like two years total. Yeah, two it was months, a giant two months tour. in the U.S. Yeah. and then like kind of two years on and off internationally. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, my boss hit me up and was like, does Adam know anybody? I was like, maybe, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he'd be willing to do it. Yeah. It's definitely good pay. Sure, sure. For sure, yeah. And big venues too. Porter Robinson's a big artist. You know, and there's been a lot of those that have come across that are that are tempting and interesting, right? Because I, the last gig I played ever was with my friend Emily Kopp, um, who goes by her artist name now, Lowen. Um, you know, talented singer-songwriter. Um, played a gig with her... I want to say five years ago now. Mm -hmm. And before that, I hadn't played a gig in like two or three years. But man, that gig, it reminded me of why I stopped taking gigs. Because in order to do this job, running an online education brand with a, with a school, with apps and a website and members and all that stuff... You know, it is it is not realistic that I could have built all of this while also playing gigs. There's just not there's genuinely not enough time in a week to break my kit down, go to rehearsals, dedicate all this time to like musical performances, gigs, loading, unloading. You know, there's no way I could have done both at the same time. And I have to tell people that sometimes like I had to choose between like the gigging world and doing this online education thing. Uh, at least for me, that was sort of my reality. I didn't see how I could possibly balance both of these things. It felt like I would, I would have my eggs in too many baskets, right? 
So I chose the online route. It's the reason that I don't play gigs to this day. Um, you know, so the question is, is there any type of gig that could come up that would really tempt me? I would mm. say it would have to be like a very short list of artists that I would regret if I said no. I'll give you my number one. My number one, mm. Rascal Flats. <laughs> Rascal Flats, dude. That's surprising, actually. Man, I'm, I'm a sucker for like well-written country and rascal flats in my in my eyes has like some of the best country songs like ever written especially i grew up with that in the you know late 90s early 2000s man rascal flats has some hitters boy they got some songs that if you don't cry listening to that you're not a human you know i mean just beautifully written powerful powerful songs man so rascal flats would be at the top of my list for sure and then, of course, there's the superstars. Would I turn down a gig with Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande or some, like, massive yeah. arena? Like, yeah. I don't think I would. I think I would take that just on the premise that, like, you know, so few people ever get to do that. Like, I would I would give up an online career just to have that experience, you know? Um but, I, you know, the way I see it is, like, it's a trade. If I take a gig like that, I'm giving up a position that I have as a YouTuber, as an online educator, as an online drum school owner. Um, you know, that that's a trade. And so it would have to be something where I assess the website, OrlandoDrummer.com, the relationship I have to the members there, the relationship I have to YouTubers, my Instagram followers, to all those people, and say, man, I'm going to sort of, in, in some roundabout way, give up the the value of this relationship for something else in the music industry and i've never had an offer for a gig or an album or something that would be very time consuming like that i've never had one come in where it really tempted me that much it was always like no i i i like what i have in the online space more than i like this touring opportunity or the, or the thought of recording on this album right um, but there are certain ones. So I'll say like Rascal Flats is probably the best example. If they email me and they're going on like a world reunion tour, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll take the time off. Yeah. It's just, it's got to be big enough, man. Or of personal interest to, great enough personal interest to me. That's what I'll say. Not big enough, but you know, it's just got to, it's got to hit me somewhere deep to, to trade my online position, honestly. What about a clinic tour? I mean, you've done clinics, but... Yeah, I've done plenty of clinics, man, but to be totally honest, and I ah, I mean, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to like call it permanently, but man, even long before COVID, the clinic world has been in like severe decline. I mean, it, and and I I say this having spoken to some of the higher-ups at like Memphis Drum Shop, which is, you know, these legendary drum places. I mean, they'll tell you that back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it was nothing to pack a drum shop for a clinic. It, was, it wasn't hard at all. But the internet has just made it where it's like, you know, if you ask somebody like, do you wanna drive three hours to this clinic at this drum shop? Or would you just pay, you know, $2 to see it online? Or maybe you'd pay no money at all and we would just live stream it. and. That's just kind of how it seems to work now. You know, this idea of like these massive sold out drum clinic environments. Like I was told five, six, seven years ago that like, eh, it's not really, it's not doing that well, you know? And I have done some some big clinics in my career. I'd say the biggest one I ever did was 500 plus people at like a PASIC sponsored event uh, at a college. And I've done smaller, like more masterclass type things. But... Yeah, man, I don't know. I think that era is just slowly dying. Not to say that there won't be any drum clinics, but 
it's hard. That's it's a hard thing to book, a hard thing to do, especially now with COVID, man. I just don't know how how realistic it is that that would even come up in the next few years. You know, it could. I, it could. I, I, I wish I, you yeah. guess that they could, depending on the drummer. But depends on the drummer and the pull that they have. Yeah. You know what? What hybrid I really like about this. This was something Periphery and Matt Halpern did was sort of combining the clinic, masterclass, lesson, educational environment with touring. Mm-hmm. So the band would do educational things before or after the shows that they played. I yeah. like that combination a lot. You know, remember when Warp Tour had a thing years ago of um they would teach lessons? Oh yeah. Oh that man, what was the it, the, the Band name Happy? Of the, yeah. Was it Band Happy? Yeah, Band Happy. Halpern had a lot to do there, with that. There's if another website yeah. that I think Luke helped with. Mm-hmm. Um, where they would combine it with Warp Tour dates, and then I, I you would see, reserve times at Warp Tour. Yeah, you'd also have to buy a Warp Tour ticket. Sure, and then on top of that, get like the time slot. Sure, but I like that combination. That makes a lot of sense to me because I I love the thought of like any show that you go to, you can get a lesson with members of the band before or after the show. That seems really cool. That seems like a win win for everybody. Mm-hmm. You're incentivizing someone to drive a lot further to come to your show. You're making more money. It's convenient because the artists are already on tour. The gear is already here. It's already unpacked. Like, I don't know. To me, that kind of thing made a lot of sense. A lot of sense. So, who knows? Maybe when touring yeah. opens back up, we'll, we'll see how far that actually goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. I actually have a funny story. It's, uh, it reminds me of me, me and a buddy went to see August Burns Red like years and years ago. Dude, it was like something out of the cosmos that just Matt Griner... And um, Adam Gray came out and just noticed us two, and we looked like drummers. Yeah. And they were you like, are you like the drummers. kids from Band Happy? And they had like a brick full of sticks. And yeah. They, and just, we're just like, oh, no. Because we just kind of like ran into them and introduced okay. ourselves. And then they're like, oh, man, because we were supposed to give free lessons to kids from Band Happy and give them free sticks. And, uh, and we were just like, do we lie? You should, <laughs> you should lie. <laughs> yes, do we, we lie? <laughs> um, yeah. But I had met Adam several times. Yeah. Just in, in like passing at shows since then. And cool dude. Cool dude. Yeah. 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 Cool. Would have been cool to get a lesson from both of them, but passed it up. Gave yeah. it to someone who probably won it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, cool. Well, thank you for the thoughts on what would tempt you to go out on tour. Rascal Flats, please send me an email. Rascal Flats, hit me up, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, and if you've got any questions for Adam or the podcast in general, just comment it down below on YouTube. Send me an email at chris at orlandodrummer.com. You can also go to the members area of orlandodrummer.com if you are a member and put some questions in the forums. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you send them anywhere. Cool. Well, that'll do it. So... Yeah, you can close out the podcast if you want. Cool. You can yeah, yeah. So I got I got kind of a cool one for you today. Um, this is really there's two stories here. Also, let me tell you the two stories before we get into this closing message. Um, there is a company called Barbell. Got the shirt on today. There you go. Um, Barbell Apparel, and I bought their gym shorts. Have you ever seen any videos of me wearing little tiny gym shorts? They're always from Barbell Apparel. I own like every color of yeah. them. I remember um, every video of you in tiny shorts. Yeah, actually. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I love their their gym clothes, basically. I own a few of their t-shirts, some of their jeans. They make really nice jeans as well. It's sort of in that athleisure fitness territory of like the clothing industry. But I just like their clothes. That's it. And I've ordered, you know, five or six times from them over the last like four or five years. But I placed an order. What did I get? I got a pair of jeans and a t-shirt uh, maybe like three weeks ago or something. 
And a couple days after I placed the order, I get an email from a guy named Kyle. And Kyle said, uh, he said, hey man, I just uh, stumbled across your order, recognized your name. He said, I'm a drummer. And Kyle is the director of Barbell Apparel. Mm. Just like small world kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so he ended up giving me an extra t-shirt with my order. Boom, shout out Kyle. And another pair of jeans, actually. It was awesome. So, you know, really, really cool and random. And then another story, kind of in this same, this same wheelhouse, um, I actually got legally married. Uh, what was what it's been? Two weeks, almost three weeks ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, we're the reason we got legally we got legally married at the courthouse. Kelly and I did, uh, and we did that because our wedding is in Tennessee. Um, that's coming up in late April, and it's really complicated to get married out of state. Anyway, it just made more sense for us to get legally married here, and then the wedding is like a separate celebration. So when we got married at the courthouse, our randomly appointed courthouse representative who did the wedding was a drummer and not only was he a drummer he knew who I was it took him a while to recognize me because it's a courthouse so we had to have masks on but he saw the name on some of the paperwork and was like are you like Orlando drummer like Instachops I was like yeah man and it was a drummer and it's just funny having a couple events like this happen back to back it reminds me what a small niche community the drumming community is. It's such a small, compact little world, and it's so cool when I run into drummers randomly, not through the drum industry. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you meet them through ordering a t-shirt online, or you meet them at the fucking courthouse yeah, randomly, yeah. right? I mean, stuff like that. And admittedly, it's easier for me to meet those people because there's a likelihood that they might know who I am because they've seen my videos. So in a way, it's sort of like hacking, like, you know, th- that I could get recognized because I'm sure I've met many drummers who I, they play drums their whole life, but I didn't recognize them from anything necessarily. But um, it's just such a cool experience. So for me, it was just a reminder of, of like how nice it is to be in just this small niche little community, you know, where I, I sometimes think there is something special about the drum community as well because I... I you know, there are more guitarists in the world than drummers. Certainly, there's there's many, many more. The sales numbers at a, you know, at working at Sam Ash would tell you that, right? Like, there's a lot more guitarists than drummers out there. But there is something missing from other, like, instrument communities that I see in the drum industry where I don't know exactly what that is, but we've got it. We've got it, right? There's some sort of, like, inside drummer joke that, that just seems to run through our community, right? And so I like that a lot, and it's just really cool for me when I get to have those experiences of randomly meeting drummers. It just makes me grateful to be a part of this really, really small, really niche community. It feels like a small town. Yeah. That's what it feels like sometimes when you find out somebody's a drummer. So anyway, just feeling really appreciative of uh, of this awesome community that we have and happy to share it with you guys. Happy to share it with you, Chris. Yes, happy to be a part of it. Oh, yeah, man. Cool. Well, that's all we got for you in episode 14. Yeah, there we go. All right. Knocked it out. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in, guys. We appreciate it. Adam here, the Orlando drummer. I will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.